Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. This morning, we will be looking at chapter 45. Specifically, we're going to look at the first 15 verses. This is the moment we have been waiting for for many weeks. This is the climax of the drama of the story of Joseph. Let us give attention to God's Word. If you are familiar with the story, do not let that rob you of the power of God's Word. Please give close attention. For the Word of the Lord is completely without error. It is completely sufficient And it is completely authoritative. Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning...
that you would teach us from your word. That you would teach us, O Lord, that you are sovereign. That you would teach us, O Lord, that you give hope. Hope for our own lives. Hope for our relationships. Hope for our life with you. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is not the typical ending of a good old-fashioned revenge story, is it? We love revenge stories, don't we? They're in the movies all the time. They're in the theaters. We love to read novels. You know the story where the good man is done wrong. Perhaps his business has been taken from him. Perhaps he's been imprisoned. Perhaps he has been robbed or his family has been hurt. And we watch and we see how he goes from despair to a kind of bitterness and hatred. And that fuels him till we see in the final screen that the bad guys finally get what's coming to them. That's what's great about a revenge story, isn't it? Our sense of justice is honored. That's what we like. We like when things are just. But there's a problem in real life with that. Because, you see, although we like justice, we don't understand it. We think justice is only for people out there. And that it would never come and visit upon us. But the more we come to understand and know the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we understand that while we may like Justice, what we need is grace. We don't need the typical revenge ending. We need reconciliation. We need hugs and kisses. We need tears of joy. We need to be right with God and others around us. And that's what this incredibly dramatic story has for us. It is the story of Joseph And how God has used him in the lives of his family. And now he has brought them to a place where they will be what the Bible holds them up to be. The great twelve patriarchs of the Old Testament. And we see here that it does not happen by accident. It does not happen by man's contrivance. It happens through the work of the Lord. I'd like us to see three Main themes in our text this morning. Forgiveness, faith, and fruit. The forgiveness that comes through the work of the Lord and how difficult that is. The fact that forgiveness only comes by faith that we have in a sovereign God and in His plan and purpose. And then finally, the fruit that comes from forgiveness in our life and from trusting the Lord. Well, let's begin then by looking at forgiveness. Forgiveness is a very easy word to say, isn't it? I know that you, on more than one occasion, have looked at someone and said, Oh, I forgive you. And you didn't mean it at all. I know that because you're human. It may have been a brother or a sister. It may have even been your spouse. And sure, you may have forgiven them later, but 
Forgiveness is something easy to just trot out and say. But when it is heartfelt, it's much more difficult. You see, there is a challenge to forgiveness. We have to understand that forgiveness comes in a context to us. Think about the past. Think about the story here of Joseph. Joseph had experienced so much evil in his life. Not bad luck. Not sorry coincidences, but the wickedness of others toward him. He was hated by his brothers. Now, this is not like perhaps some of you in your families have children who bicker or who push each other or knock each other's toys over. No, this was a hatred. The Bible tells us that they could not even speak to Joseph. It was a deep and bitter thing. I want you to remember in chapter 37 that as they brought the cloak of Joseph back to his father, dipped in blood, do you remember what they said to him? Is this your son's? Not, is this our brother's? Is this someone of our family's? No, it's, it's your son's, Jacob. We don't have anything to do with him. Joseph was hated by his brothers. And then he goes from there to being enslaved. Now imagine again, he is a young man, a teenager. He is defenseless and he is brought into Egypt and he has no way of speaking the language. Could you imagine that? Young people getting ready to go to college. If I swooped you up and dropped you in the middle of darkest Africa or in rural China where no one spoke English, I think the most brave-hearted of you here would be afraid. And that's what Joseph faced. And of course, that comes with loneliness because he's been left alone apart from his family. And then he is accused unjustly and placed in chains with fetters around his ankles and his neck. He has not had an easy life. There is very little hope in Joseph here. Now, I've just described life for many of you, haven't I? Not not that you are in chains or in a land where you don't speak the language, but you have pasts where there has been hurt. Others have attacked you and abused you. Others have manipulated you. You have faced scarcity and want. You've been lonely. You don't know what to do. How to solve the problems that it seems that God has uncaringly laid at your doorstep. But it's not just the past, is it? There's a present as well. You see, the difficulty here for forgiving others is that now Joseph is on the other side of all these evils. The worst is behind him. He actually prayed to God that he would forget his family. Can you imagine that? Genesis 41, 51. He's thankful to the Lord for allowing him to forget his family. But it's not as if the good that has come to him now makes up for the bad. You see, you know this. Our lives are not some kind of cosmic scale. I cannot come up to you and punch you and hand you a candy bar and expect it to even out. You see, life doesn't work that way. The pain stays with us. In the present. But there's also 
a challenge here to the future. You see, Joseph is faced with his brothers. And if he is going to forgive, he has to do something that is more frightening than lying in an Egyptian dungeon. He has to give up control. That's not easy, is it? Some of you that have younger children, speak to the parents of older children. The hardest part of parenting is not changing diapers. It's not midnight feedings. It is not going through school. The hardest part of parenting is letting go, isn't it? I'm not even there yet and I already feel the pain. You see, because we want to be in control. We want to control our environment. We want to control our families, control our health, control our finances, because we feel safe. And God calls upon us here to relinquish control to Him. That's what forgiveness is all about. It's about giving up control. And that's where the freedom of forgiveness found because you see God is here at work in the life of Joseph and his brothers and if you can imagine it the work of the grace of God is like a gigantic flood behind a dam and right here the dam is about to burst and the grace of God and all that he has done is about to wash over this family they think they have been changed and they have But it is nothing compared to what God is about to do in this moment. You see, Joseph cannot contain himself anymore. You recall that previously he was able to slightly contain himself and he went out of the room and wept and then came back. But now he cannot. And so he cries aloud, everyone, get away from me. And then he begins, the most powerful man in Egypt, to weep. Now you have to imagine the depth of his emotion here. Joseph is not a man that lives in a tiny shack. He's second to Pharaoh. He's got a huge house. And Moses tells us that they heard him outside. They heard him in Pharaoh's house. The emotion overwhelms Joseph and he then begins to speak to his brothers and you have to put yourself in their place. You see, the text read does not do it justice. Because this man, who on several occasions has spoken to them only through the tedious means of an interpreter, saying something in Egyptian, and then the interpreter speaking to them in Hebrew, he looks at them full in the face, and the last thing on earth they would have expected, Hebrew comes out of his mouth, and he says, I am Joseph. Can you imagine? Did did we even hear that? They look at each other. What? This is impossible. They are dismayed, the text says. But, but you see, we must understand that words have a color of meaning. And this Hebrew word means more than just, oh, that's a very interesting thing. No, no, what's happening here is they are panic-stricken. They are terrified. They are astonished because you have to understand in their part of the story, this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen. The secret that they have guarded for decades, kept from their father, kept even from saying aloud, 
now is out. And their brother is alive. And he has the power of life and death over them. They can't speak. They're probably blubbering. They don't know what to do. And so Joseph goes on to give them, to convince them of what is going on. He tells them facts that only Joseph knows. He says, I am Joseph whom you sold into slavery. And they would say to themselves, we never said that. We only said there was another and he is not. We never told any of the Egyptians what we did. We never, remember we made that pact never to tell anyone ever of what we did that day. And then he says to them, does my father live? And I think this opens up for us the heart of Joseph. Because you see, on one level, it's a very silly question. Of course, Joseph, he's alive. You asked that last chapter. And you asked it the chapter before. But he's not asking, is dad breathing? Does dad have a pulse? No. He wants to know, is my father in his right mind? Can he travel? Because you see... I want to reunite this family. I want to protect you. I want to save you. I want to reconcile us all together. You see, that is Joseph's heart here. It is a heart of forgiveness for his brothers. He is not focused on himself and his own anger. Can you imagine if you had been wronged by someone in the worst possible way? Think back in your own life. Think about the person who has wronged you most. Really put the knife in and twisted it. And then the very first thing you meet with them, that you say to them when you meet them, is you say, now listen, you shouldn't be angry with yourself. What? You absolutely should be angry with yourself. And I should be angry with you. And I should throw you in prison and let you see what slavery looks like. But that's not what forgiveness looks like. Do you see what God has done in Joseph? 20 plus years of heartache. He's turned him into a man that longs for reconciliation with his brothers. You need to come to this point in your life. If you are harboring ill will against someone else, you need to understand that the only way that you will survive is to find forgiveness. For the only way that you can forgive is first to be forgiven. Because once we stand before the cross and we hear the words, it is finished, and we know that we are forgiven for all of our sins, for all of the things that we know we did that others aren't aware of. Then the gratitude that flows over us cannot help but spur up a heart of forgiveness in us for others. You see, if you want to forgive, you must first know forgiveness. And Joseph knows this. He knows the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And that is cause for rejoicing. It's the only way you will be made whole. It's the only way you will follow the Lord's will. It's the only way of reconciliation. How can Joseph do this? Did he simply screw up the courage to look past what his brothers had done? No. He tells us this in the rest of his speech. He says, don't be angry because God sent me before you. You see, Joseph can do this because he has faith. He has faith in God's plan. This is not easy. 
As a matter of fact, the easy explanations allow us to consider and to keep our bitterness. Why do bad things happen to us? Well, some say it's because God is not all-powerful. God would just love to help us. But He's restricted. He can't do anything He wants. He can only do certain things at certain times. Too bad for us. And we have to live with that shortcoming. Others say, no, 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 it's not God's power. It's, you see, God is not good. We're not all good. Somehow God enjoys our misery, like some sort of puny God from the Greek pantheon. Enjoys watching humans squirm. And you see, these are easy explanations because we can say, well, God's failed me, so I guess I'm okay to be bitter and not to forgive. But you must reject those easy explanations because you see, God is not limited And Joseph understands this. He knows that the world is evil. The world is evil because of sin. The world is evil because of rebellion against God and His way. The world is not what God created. But you see, the wonderful thing about the living God is that He does not negate evil. You know those stories of the the shoemaker's elves. How they came into the shoemaker's shop and did all of the work ahead of time and then cleaned it all up like they were never there. God doesn't follow along behind us, fixing things, cleaning things up so we don't notice the evil in the world. To think that would be foolish. All you need to do is open a newspaper. Or turn on a television to see that the world is full of evil. But you see, God does something better than negating evil. God transforms evil by His grace into good. Can you imagine that? The power and the goodness of God to take what is evil and to make it good. He takes the hatred of Joseph's brothers and He uses it to bring Joseph exactly where He wants him, to Egypt. He uses the lying of Potiphar's wife to put Joseph exactly where he needs him to be in front of the cupbearer in prison. And then he uses the forgetfulness and thoughtlessness of the cupbearer to allow Joseph to stay in prison two additional years so that he is there exactly when God needs him to be when Pharaoh has a dream. All of these actions by men were meant for ill But God uses them in His masterful plan. And you see, this is a challenge for us because we often can't see it as it occurs, do we? We only see the wickedness. We can't possibly understand how God could use an illness in our life. We can't possibly understand how God could use financial trials in our life. We can't possibly understand how God could use driving us out of our homeland for good. But when we take a step back, a year, five years, 20 years, then we begin to see the work of the Lord, don't we? I'm telling you now, you will not see everything until glory. This is why the Bible says we must live by faith because we can't trust our sight. 
It doesn't show us everything that we need. Joseph had faith in God's plan, but he also, more than that, had faith in God's purpose because, you see, God is not just rearranging chairs on the deck of a ship. He is working toward a purpose. And so the suffering that Joseph undertook brought good. It brought prosperity for Joseph. It actually blessed the very family that had hated him. And it preserved God's plan that started all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Do you think about that? God's promise in the very beginnings, right after the fall, would not be true. But for Joseph and his sufferings. That's what God has done. And you see, Joseph sees this. And he understands that God is at work and that His will overcomes all all others. Do you see what he says in verse 5? God sent me. In verse 7, and God sent me. And in verse 8, it was not you who sent me, but it was God. Three times he tells them, Brothers, you've got to get it out of your head that you're in control. God is there and I have seen Him. He's been there from the beginning. And you see, that is where his focus is, on the purpose of God. That's why he can forgive. Because do you notice what he doesn't talk about here at all? He doesn't talk about their wickedness at all. He doesn't talk about their sin. He doesn't talk about the judgment that would come upon it. He doesn't focus on his suffering and all of the things that he has gone under. No, All of his focus here is like a laser beam on one thing, and that is the living triune God. Is that your focus today? You see, your circumstances are such, the providence that God has given to you is such that you probably feel like you're on a Ferris wheel out of control. Going faster and faster. Not knowing when it's going to stop. Not knowing what you will do. And the temptation is for us to focus on ourselves and on our circumstances and on our troubles and on our solutions. And you see, the Lord God is saying to you today, you must focus on Him. The faithful one, Joseph, learned that lesson. He learned it through great hardship. Now, that does not mean that our actions are irrelevant. You see, if Joseph's brothers had listened to the Lord and had obeyed Him, Joseph is now Lord over all of Egypt, just like God had said in a dream in Genesis 37. He said that Joseph would be a ruler and they would bow down to him. And they looked at God and said, No way. We'll have none of it. And the result for them was that they lost God's blessings. Their life was not what it might have been. Could you imagine the joy that would have come to their hearts if for the last 20 years they would have sat around their father's knee and spoken to him in love and had encouragement instead of spending all of that time in fear and suspicion with their father not trusting anything that they said. Our actions are not irrelevant. 
But God indeed triumphs in spite of our sinful actions. Well, we are called to forgive. And we can only do that by faith in the living God. And when we do, by God's grace, we see the fruit of His work in us. And we see it here in two ways. We see it first in a reconciliation that comes about that we would never have dreamed about. And then secondly, in a peace that passes all understanding. There is a great reconciliation that occurs here. Look with me at verse 4. Joseph says to his brothers, Come near to me, please. Now imagine. They are dumbfounded with fear. They are perhaps absolutely certain that their goose is cooked. After all, they were willing to kill him just because he was daddy's favorite. Could you imagine what they would have done if he would have thrown them into prison? If he would have sold them into slavery? But you see, Joseph here shows them what God can do. Not only can he change people like his brothers, but he can change Joseph's heart as well. And he says, come near to me because I have to speak to you because there is so much I want to do for you. And he tells them, you have to go down and get dad and get him immediately so we are all back together again and I'll put you in the best land we can find and we will live and not die. Your fears will go away. And look at verse 11. There I will provide for you. Is there any more full description of forgiveness than that? This is not just bare sentences that go back and forth. Will you forgive me? Yeah, sure. I guess so. All right. Let's move on. You've done that more than once or twice in your life, haven't you? I know I have. No, he says, no, no, no. I want you to be around me forever, brothers. And I want to take care of you. I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. And here, something we have been seeing over and over and over again, I think, comes to a head we see Joseph as an Old Testament picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Joseph knew his brothers before they knew him. Joseph loved his brothers before they loved him. Joseph had saved his brothers before they even knew they were saved. And he calls them to himself. Not when they are eager and longing. He says, come to me. Please don't run away. That's the last thing on their mind is coming to Joseph. They are looking at the exits trying to figure out which one is closest. And can they make it out? And maybe all they need to do is run faster than the other brothers. But you see, Joseph at that time, when they want to run away, he calls them to himself. And this is what the Lord Jesus does. And he doesn't just do it in your justification. You see, he knows when you want to run away from him in shame at the sin you've committed. He knows when you want to run away from him because you just can't handle life. 
And He comes to you. And He says, My grace is sufficient for you. Come to Me. Find rest. This is the work of reconciliation that can only come through forgiveness and forgiveness that can only come through knowing the Lord. And it leads to a peace. A peace beyond all understanding. We look at the end of this section and we say to ourselves, well, it makes sense that he would want to hug Benjamin. He hasn't seen him in 20 years. This is his brother, his beloved brother. But do you look at the way the passage ends? He falls on his brothers and kisses them. Who would have ever thought that was possible in the middle of Genesis 37? If God can do this, do you trust Him to bring peace to your life? Because He can. He's been in that business since the fall. The Lord God Himself is bringing about reconciliation of His people and a peace that can only be found in being forgiven and in forgiving.